You are listening to the Best in Wealth Podcast, episode number 214. This is the Best in Wealth Podcast, a show for successful family stewards who want real answers about wealth and investing so we can feel secure about our family's future. At the Best in Wealth Podcast, we think differently about wealth and investing, and you should too. Well, hello everyone. My name is Scott Wellens, and I'm your host of the Best in Wealth Podcast. Now, this is a show dedicated to helping real people, that's you, my friend, build real wealth so together we can take family stewardship to the next level. I'm a fiduciary, a fee-only certified financial planner, an educator, and a wealth advisor, and it is great to see you today. And today's episode is all about the psychology of spending money. But before we get to the topic of the day, do you have kids that are in sports? If you have kids and they're around the ages of, I don't know, seven and 22, you probably do. And I have kids that are in sports currently playing volleyball. And if you've ever been to some of these big indoor tournaments, you're not allowed to bring food inside of these big, I'm talking thousand team tournaments. This weekend, we're going to Indianapolis. There'll be 954 teams competing at the Indianapolis Convention Center and inside of Lucas Oil Stadium. But you're not allowed to bring food in because they want you to eat their food and drink their water. But I want my girl to eat some healthy stuff, not hamburgers, chicken nuggets, French fries, those kinds of things. So I want to bring a cooler in. And my wife, she digs into the closet and comes out with this lime green female looking cooler that when you put ice cubes in it, the whole bag starts leaking and thought that would be a good idea to try and smuggle that cooler in. And I'm thinking to myself, no way. And later on in the day, My daughter and I, we go to Dick's Sporting Goods. She needs new gym shoes. And I walk by the Yeti section. And what do I see? These awesome coolers that almost look like backpacks. One that I might be able to sneak by the guard and into the stadium so I can pack water and sandwiches and fruit and yogurt, stuff that will be healthy for myself and for my daughter during this two-day tournament. But the price tag was quite high. If you've ever been in the Yeti section, those coolers are ridiculous. But you know what? In the moment, Grace and I just pictured ourselves with that Yeti backpack and walking into the Lucas Oil Stadium and having all of our food, and we made that purchase. We didn't care what the price is. We made an emotional purchase, and we're on our way to Indy. Let's get to the topic of the day. All right, here we go. We're going to talk about the psychology of spending money. Now, listen, I'm a financial advisor. I want you to save money, but I also want you to have a healthy balance between spending now and saving for your future. And for some of us, it's hard to find that balance because either we're saving so much that we're 
cutting back on things that maybe we don't need to in our lives today, or we're spending too much and we're not saving up for the future. So I really want everyone listening here to have a healthy balance with their money. And normally financial advisors, we like to talk about the psychology of investing and what are the triggers that make us want to get in or out of the market. But we're going in a whole different direction. I read an article called The Art and Science of Money by Morgan Housel, and it really triggered some things with me that I want to share with you. And we'll put in the show notes at bestandwealth.com episode number 214. We'll post a link to this article. It's quite lengthy. And Morgan points out many psychological things to think about as you're spending money. And I'm going to talk about the six that hit home the most with me. Because as we're out spending our money, it's important that we understand there is a psychology behind our spending. So the next time you go out and make a purchase, I'd like you to think about a trigger or two beforehand just so that you are more aware of the spending that you're making. So what are some of these aspects that you should think about that have to do with the psychology of spending as you're out making a purchase? Well, the first is your family background. This can heavily influence the way you spend money. Think about your family of origin. We think about this, or you should be thinking about this when you get married, because oftentimes we handle conflict the way our parents handle conflict. If your parents threw things against the wall, had knocked down, drag out arguments night after night, that may be the way you handle conflict. And some of that's healthy and some of it's not. If you had parents that you never saw fight ever or engage in conflict, that might be how you play things out and are very passive about conflict. And that can be healthy, but the flip side, not healthy either. The same goes with your spending. Because if you dig into it, I think you'll see that there's a disproportionate share of those with the biggest homes, the fastest cars, and the shiniest jewelry and they grew up snubbed in some way. Maybe they were made fun of in school for not having enough money or wearing the right clothes. So part of their current spending isn't about getting value out of material goods. It's about healing a social wound inflicted when they were younger. It's almost the opposite when you think about your family background, your family of origin. And I know my mom told me that that her mom and dad got in big fights, big fights when she was young and they ended up getting a divorce when my mom was 13 when not a lot of people got divorces. So my mom doesn't handle conflict that way. She did the opposite. But when we think about if you were snubbed when you were younger, now you're doing the opposite. You're showing these people that I have what it takes, that I'm going to get back at you. And a lot of this is called revenge spending. And if we really think about the pandemic, didn't we all engage in some sort of revenge spending? We were in COVID lockdown for a long time. I mean, I remember my wife and I, the most that we were spending money on is going to pick and save the grocery store and waiting for the delivery guy to come out because we were too scared to go in the store and buy food. 
And we didn't do anything else. We weren't going to the movies. We weren't going out to eat. We'd get some takeout, but it's a lot cheaper getting takeout because you're not drinking. COVID stopped and there was a frenzy of spending. And I think my wife and I were part of that. So that's number one. Here's the number two thing I wanted you to think about as you're spending money. That people, and maybe you, become entrapped by money. And what do I mean by that? Well, the article, Morgan, gives a great example. George Vanderbilt spent six years building the 135,000 square foot Biltmore estate, Biltmore house. There were 40 master bedrooms and a full-time staff of nearly 400 to take care of the house. But allegedly, George spent very little time there because it was utterly unaddressed to anything possible for actual living life. It wasn't, I mean, think about it. You might have a a 1,500 square foot house, maybe a 5,000 square foot house. You got that 5,000 square foot house. You might be texting your kid who's down in the basement because it's too far of a walk. Well, George had a 135,000 square foot house. It wasn't practical for anything. So he barely spent any time there. The house cost so much to maintain that it nearly ruined George Vanderbilt. 90% of the land was sold off to pay for tax debts and the house was turned into a tourist attraction. Has anyone been to Asheville, North Carolina to visit the Biltmore Estate? I have, and it is a fun tour. You can put the headset on, take a guided tour and go through a lot of the rooms. There was an indoor swimming pool. I mean, the thing was built, I can't remember when George Vanderbilt was around, but around the the 20s or 30s or something like that. And having an indoor pool was a crazy idea, but there was one there within the 135,000 square foot estate. He barely used it because part of the belief is that spending will make you happier when it doesn't, either because it never will or because you haven't discovered purchases that bring you joy. Your reaction is that you must not be spending enough, so double down and maybe I'll be happy on my next purchase. Not happy enough, I might double down again. And if a purchase makes you happy and it falls within your balance of life, I want you to go for it. But George Vanderbilt was entrapped by money. He thought building the biggest and the best was going to make him happy. And he, he didn't double down or triple down. Like he went for it all and it utterly ruined him. Here's the number three thing you should think about as you're making purchases or even more as you're saving and trying to figure out this balance. And that is the way Morgan puts it is frugality inertia. I have plenty of clients that suffer from exactly this. What do I mean? And what does Morgan mean by frugality inertia? Well, we have people listening to this podcast that are probably ultra savers. Dave Ramsey wants us to save 15% of our gross income. I bet there's people on this call saving 20, 30, 40, all the way up to 70% of their income. They might want to hit financial freedom as quickly as possible. And that is awesome. All the power to you, especially if you're finding some sort of healthy balance through this ultra saving. But a lifetime of good saving habits 
it's very difficult to transition into a spending phase. You spent your whole life saving and the numbers getting bigger and bigger. Well, except for in 2022 where you took a dip, but you were still saving. So you're buying stock, getting more shares for the same amount of money. And now you got 1 million, 2 million, 4 million. You're ready to hit that. You are there, financial freedom. And now it's time to spend that money. And really, if you go by Bengdon's 4% rule and you have $4 million, that's $160,000 that you potentially could save or could spend safely and have that money last at least 30 years and probably still have that $4 million sitting there at the end if we see good average return rates. But you can't do it because you can't transition from all that saving to now spending. So you stay frugal your entire life. If you develop an early system of saving and living well below your means, congratulations, you've won. But if you never break away from that system and insist on a heavy savings regimen, well, well into your retirement years, what is that? Is that really winning? I don't think so. I think you are trapped by your frugality. Frugality inertia could ruin you. And as a financial advisor, this is sometimes the hardest thing to teach my clients or get them over. You're done saving now. Let's spend your money because where's it going to end up when you're all done? If you don't have a great plan and it's just going to go to a couple of your kids that are going to be big spenders anyway, and maybe they end up not being as productive in life as they should be, I would not say that you won the game. Let's think through this. All right, number four, an emotional attachment to large purchases. Emotions, baby, they are real and they are heavy when we think about large purchases, like a house. We don't need this big of a house. We're just going to go look at that house, but it's so beautiful. It's so much better than our house. Let's buy it on emotion. Not because it fits within your plan, your life balance, and now you're stuck with heavy house payments. Why do you think car salespeople want you to buy that car the moment you step on that lot? Do not leave the dealership because we want to hit you hard when your emotions are sky high. Oh man, this car is so beautiful. It drives so good. It's way better than my other car. The stereo sounds better. I got all these new safety features. It basically drives by itself. I got to buy this car. Emotions kick in on large purchases. I'll give you an example when it doesn't even have to be a large purchase. My daughter, Grace, reminded me of this this week, that a few years ago, they were building a new gym about 10 minutes from our house. That gym was a lifetime fitness. And we were getting all kinds of ads in the mail, and man, it looked pretty nice. It looked pretty cool. And they were having this open house a couple weeks before they were going to officially open. And they invited everyone to come and check out this gym. And so what did we do? We said, you know what? We're going to go check out this gym, but no way. We are not signing up for a membership. We know that's what they're going to do. They're going to press us hard to sign up for a membership, but uh uh-uh, we're fine. We're going to work out in the basement. I think we already had a membership to the YMCA that was closer and we knew it was going to be a lot less expensive. And then we get to the gym 
we walk in, felt like I saw marble floors, big screen TVs. It smelled beautiful. Everything was brand new. We saw a beautiful indoor pool, beautiful outdoor pool. We go up to the gym, all these new machines, every piece of equipment you can imagine. In the classes, they had a, two different yoga studios and a spin biking studio, all kinds of studios. I don't even know what they were called, but free classes with your membership. Then we go down to the locker room and, oh man, them towels, they were so white. You looked into the shower. Shampoo, conditioner, body wash. You step over to the sinks. What do they got there? Razors for you. Shaving cream, Q-tips, deodorant, lotion. And those towels were stacked up everywhere. We're like, man, this is pretty cool. A steam room, a sauna, a whirlpool. They had it all. And the guy that gave us a tour, he knew we were like smiling and took us over to his desk then after he showed us the changing rooms, the locker rooms. And he showed us the kind of deal we could get. We could be founding members. We're going to give you water bottles, backpacks that say lifetime fitness. We're going to waive certain fees. And I looked at my wife. She looked at me and I looked at my kids and we all had the biggest grin we've ever had. And what do we do? We signed on that dotted line. We made that emotional purchase. We said we weren't going to do it, but we did it. Remember, those endorphins, they're working hard, trying to give you some sort of short-term satisfaction when you go make a large purchase or go get a gym membership. But for a lot of us, a few days later, a week later, buyer's remorse set in. We're like, shoot, probably shouldn't have bought that house. That payment's going to be high. So think about that and a lesson for me every time you go think about making a quick purchase. All right, I got two more I want to go through real quick. The fifth, the joy of spending can diminish as income rises because there's less struggle, sacrifice, and sweat represented in the purchases. Think about when you got your first job and you finally started making some money. And you had your eye on something you were going to buy. For me, it was my first stereo system. And back then, you bought all the components. You bought the speakers, the receiver, the cassette deck. CDs were just coming out. The CD player, the equalizer with all the lights. And I bought my first stereo system. I saved up all summer. I was working construction for my dad. And it was a beautiful purchase. And it was awesome. I felt so much joy. And then I think about a few days ago when I bought that Yeti cooler. That's a big purchase. When you go buy a cooler for 20 bucks and said you spend a few hundred, but it's not like I felt all kinds of joy. I'm hoping it'll be practical. But since when is a $300 cooler practical in the first place? If you're successful and you make a lot of money, you just go buy it. You don't feel that joy like at the beginning, when you first started making money. So my suggestion to you, because we want joy from spending, we want to feel good, is to have a good spending plan in place. My wife and I, we both have flex accounts. A couple hundred dollars a month, we can spend whatever we want on. Way back in the day, that was 20 bucks a month. We both have jobs. We're both been in our careers for a long time. We've 
bump that up to 200. I can save that for five months in a row and buy myself a new stereo. And then I can feel the joy again because I more act like I only have $200 a month to spend on the things that I want, that I really, really want. Get yourself a spending plan in place. And I guarantee you, you will find more joy out of those things that you purchase. All right, getting late on time, but I'm going with the last and maybe the most important aspect of the psychology of money, in my opinion. And listen to me clearly, no one, and I mean no one, is impressed with your possessions as much as you are. I can walk into that Indianapolis Convention Center with my Yeti cooler backpack on and think, oh man, people think I got the best cooler in the place. Guess what? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. This past year, I bought my second new vehicle that I've ever bought. Everything else has always been used. I bought something new. I got a really good deal on it. I got the family discount, but it was great because the truck, the SUV I was driving was falling apart. It was shaking when I was driving. I don't know what the problem was. It barely gave me any heat. The stereo system didn't sound good. It was awful. I got this new truck and I was washing it every two, three days. I drive it down the road. I'm like, people are probably looking at me going, that is one nice truck. But here's a news flash for myself. Nobody cares about my truck except for me. So when you go make your next purchase... Don't do it because you think somebody else is going to be impressed because they will not. So what did I learn when I read this article from Morgan? Let's just recap this. That spending happiness doesn't, doesn't really last that long. It can be very short term. Those endorphins, Grace and I bought that cooler. We're like, yeah, we got a great cooler. But you know what? That was a couple days ago. It's just a daggone cooler. Number two, it's hard for spending to make you happy if you're already happy. I'm a super happy person. I'm generally always in a good mood and I'm positive. I know that buys for me are not really going to make me happy because I'm already happy. And for those that aren't that happy, know that that happiness is going to be very short term because money after all does not make someone happy. It may, if you make very little, I've did a podcast on this before and you're only making $30,000 a year and you bump up to $70,000 a year, that's a big lifestyle difference. That's going to make you more happy. But on top of that, very little happiness is going to come from it. Another thing I learned is my background plays a big role in my spending habits. I should think about that when I'm making purchases. And finally, I will tell you what I learned was that your best source of happiness is not on your spending. Go find happiness somewhere else. Go find it by spending more time with your family. Go find more happiness by spending more time with your friends. Go find more happiness by finding a career that you can feel really good about. Go find happiness by building up your faith and doing whatever it is to build up your faith. Build up your health. Find happiness by being a healthier person, both mentally and physically. Because this money stuff ain't going to make you very happy. But the other stuff, 
those cornerstones in your life, those are the things that are going to make you happy. All right, my friends, this is all the time I have, but I will see you guys all on the flip side. Bye-bye, everyone. The Best in Wealth Podcast is hosted by Scott Wellens. Scott Wellens is the principal at Fortress Planning Group. Fortress Planning Group is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by Securities Act, Wisconsin, according to compliance securities laws and regulations. Fortress Planning Group does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Best in Wealth Podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.